You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. Today's scripture comes from Ephesians 5, uh, chapters 15 through, says unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is the word of the Lord. Happy New Year, New City. It is uh, good to be with you all this morning. Let me welcome any uh, guests, first-time visitors. We're thankful that you're beginning your new year with us. Um, My name is Will, if we've never met, and it is our habit to preach through books of the Bible uh, to, to see what God would have to say to us through them. But this morning, we're gonna kind of do a standalone from this passage in Ephesians that I think will set the stage well for the new year. We actually did the same sermon last year, same passage, same sermon, slightly modified. What are, we're gonna just set as an annual tradition perhaps here is just as we begin the new year, on the first Sunday of the new year, what I just would love to call to your attention is uh, your life and your impending death. Uh, so happy new year, um, uh, but, it, but in all seriousness, many of us are considering our lives right now. We're thinking about what are we spending our time on. We're thinking about uh, our habits and uh, so forth. And so this is a great time for us to come before the Lord as a people and say, Lord, uh, help me to live well. Help me to live these short days that you've given me on things that, that really are significant, that really do matter. So I invite you to pray with me right now that the Lord would use this next 30 or 40 minutes to help us just consider our lives. This passage right here says, uh, look carefully at how you walk. Um, So let's pray that God would help us to to do that, to look at our lives from his perspective, through his word, and uh, invite you to pray with me. Man, what a profound reality that we just sung about in just different ways, Lord, that you inhabit eternity. We are have this little glimpse of a life, this, this, this vapor of a life that James talks about, and yet you always have been and you always will be. God, thank you that you share this life with us. Uh, you share eternal life with us, and you allow us to live in such a way lives don't have to just be futile, that the world is not one day just gonna burn up and that's all there ever is or will be. Lord, you allow us to live in such a way that will matter for eternity. So this morning, would you shine your word as a spotlight onto our lives? Would you help us to consider the things that we're giving ourselves to that just don't matter at all? And would you focus us on things that really do matter? And Lord, I pray that you'd give us special encouragement. A lot of times these talks about living for eternity and seizing the moment are like these calls to go out and change the world where for a lot of us, what living for eternity looks like is faithfully changing diapers, faithfully loving our spouses, faithfully serving the church, faithfully opening your word, faithfully seeking to love our neighbor. Lord, would you just give us attainable realities for us to pursue that will ultimately matter in the end, we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So I wanna begin this morning by calling your attention to a hero of mine for some inspiration in the new year. His name is Kyle McDonald. He's from, uh, I believe, Ontario, Canada. And in the year 2006, Kyle McDonald was able to begin, ended up with 
paperclip, and through a series of trades, ended up with a two-story farmhouse. Let me say that one more time. He, ended, he began with a small red paperclip, and through, to be exact, 14 exchanges, was able to barter his way all the way up to owning a home. Just a little paperclip to a home. I don't know exactly how long it took, but, but he did it. I, I can't recount to you all of the trades. I know it began with like the paperclip to a pen that looks like a fish. Uh, and then someone online had a doorknob that they, and they traded that for the fish. And uh, the trades just kept on going to where the final trade was. And then the owners of the farmhouse finally traded that farmhouse for uh, the role in the movie. And so obviously the point being, this guy started with something that was so small, so insignificant in comparison to having a house. Like, can you imagine someone just giving you a house, no mortgage, no rent, you just have a house. He just started with something so small, so insignificant, and through this series of just making small, wise trades, small, wise investments, he ended up with something incredible. What does that have to do with your life and your New Year's resolutions? Well, in the span of like, all of human history just to begin, and then if you zoom out from there, all of eternity, yours and my individual lives really are nothing more than little red paper clips, right? Like when you really compare our lives to the whole span of time, the whole span of even human history, and our lives are pretty small, pretty insignificant, pretty kind of here today and gone tomorrow. What Ephesians 5 is inviting us to consider is this. We can take our small, seemingly insignificant lives and through just a series of making wise investments, we can turn our short, little, insignificant lives into something that will be significant for all of eternity. All of eternity. Little investments, not world-changing, big splash-type moves, little investments, little acts of faithfulness, little acts of obedience that can ultimately matter for all eternity. And so many of you, New Year, I mean, how many of you are doing some sort of reflection on how you want to live this New Year? Like some sort of modification, some sort of change, uh, you know, some of you are reminded, like I should maybe do that. I should, you know, modify or, or, or adjust some things. In the context of us, making adjustments to our lives, I think Ephesians 5 has a lot for us uh, to consider. Because Ephesians 5 uh, not only tells us that we need to make the best use of our time, but it shows us how we can do that. It shows us how we invest them in insignificant lives and through a series of wise choices, invest them in things that will matter for all of eternity. So question, big question for us to approach these few verses this morning is this. How do we make the most of the time that we're given? How do we make the most of our lives? How do we make them count? How do we make them significant? Ephesians 5 has a few answers for us. Let's begin by just looking right there at Ephesians chapter 5 verse 15 where Paul says the following. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. How do we make our lives count? Number one, the simple but so overlooked reality. Look at your life. Give thought. Give reflection. 
examine your life. Look at what he says one more time. Look not just casually, not just haphazardly. Look carefully at what, uh, not our screens, not our bank accounts, uh, not the latest uh, events happening in the world. Look carefully at your walk, your life, how you're living. And I want to focus on that, that, uh, that kind of verbiage there of, of look carefully. What is Paul saying? Well, uh, he's, he's calling us to look diligently, like you would for something very precious that you've lost uh, and that you want to be sure to find. So uh, having little kids, I end up, maybe some of you can relate with this, I end up in my house with so much plastic garbage. Uh, it amazes me. It's the time of year where we have to go through and clean a lot of that out. For example, uh, imagine my kids go to Chuck E. Cheese and they've scored like 10,000 tickets and so they go with glee to the counter and all they've won for themselves is their like little spider ring, the little plastic ring. And they bring that thing home and moments later they've, they've lost that moment for that ring. I may turn over a cushion here or there. After about 30 seconds, we're gonna have to cut our losses. It's gone. <laughs> Compare that to just imagine I had like a, a wedding ring in the family that had been in the family for like 200 years uh, that was worth thousands of dollars uh, and, and somehow through the chaos of the holidays, that ring has been lost. What does that search look like? We are flipping furniture over. We are probably digging through trash. Uh, we are looking down the drain for it. We are diligently looking at this thing because it's precious. This is the great tragedy of so many of our lives. You have one life. It is such a gift even to be able to live even just a few short months in this world, let alone a whole lifetime. What a gift we've been given, and we only get one. But how uh, so many of us give such little attention to how we're actually spending this life. We, we give it a, a casual glance in January, perhaps, when Paul is saying, no, it's, it's one life you have. Look carefully, look diligently in the, at this life that you have because it will soon be gone. But how many of us, honestly, will have looked, just think of the past year, 2021, like we spent more time looking at Instagram reels than we did on how we're spending our lives. Or we looked at our bank account balances more diligently with more thoughtfulness than we did at how we're spending our lives. Or we look at the latest news story about people we will never meet uh, uh, more diligently than we do at our very lives. Paul says, do you want to live well? Do you want to make the most of this precious gift of life that you've been given? If you do, it begins by looking carefully at it, examining it. Look carefully at how you walk. I think it was Aristotle that said, the unexamined life is not worth living. How many of us are, have taken time to examine, to look at our lives? It ought to be criminal negligence to not give thoughtfulness to how we're spending our time. So what can this look like for you? For me, often what I'll do, uh, not even annually, maybe several times throughout the year, I'll just open up a doc. So I'll, I'll talk with my spiritual life. Uh, my physical life, uh, I'll put out my marriage, parenting, friendships, finances, like all these different areas. And I literally give myself a grade sometimes. I'll say, uh, you know, 
B here, C there. Uh, you know, well, it's just a holiday. It's all great on a curve for the physical one, you know, but I'll, but I'll go through and I'll literally like give myself an assessment in those areas. Uh, maybe for you can be even more simple. Just give yourself a thumbs up or a thumbs down on those areas. And then just a little step that I need to take in, in those areas. I don't know if that would be helpful for you to take an hour of quiet somewhere and write out your life and just consider before the Lord, Lord, how am I doing? Just help me to look at my life and assess it accurately according to your will. Uh, maybe it's just writing down a couple small changes that you want to make in January. I don't know, but I would just urge you into this new year, take a moment and look at your life. That's the first way that we live well. The second way that we live well is we begin, number one, by looking at our life, and then number two, look at your life in light of eternity. Look at your life, first of all, examine it, but zoom out and realize that life is up against something much bigger. That bigger reality is eternity. So let's keep reading what Paul says here. Look carefully at how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. This reference to days, what is Paul talking about? When you see Paul write often, he's talking about this present evil age or the present evil days that we live in and then God's eternal kingdom that will one day break through from all of that. Whereas the present evil age is summarized by uh, foolishness, vanity. Uh, he describes it as evil here. The coming kingdom that, that is coming with Jesus is eternal. It's significant. It lasts forever. And so Paul, Paul is saying here, as you nation dates to the present evil age that we live in, and there is an eternal age that those who put their faith in Jesus will inherit, so spend these days in light of that one. Examine your life. Look at your life in light of eternity. Some other passages, we already hit them this morning, so Psalm 90 is, is a wonderful one. Psalm 90, verse 12, Paul, uh, uh, sorry, Moses, actually, who wrote this, says the following. Teach us to number our days. So remember that the day, there's a number to it. There's a limit to it. They are finite. Teach us to number our days that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Paul said here, look carefully how you walk, not unwise, but wise. Where does that heart of wisdom come from? It comes from remembering that we, we will not be in this world forever. And I think those of us who are older in the room will say that, man, it goes a lot faster than we think it will. Uh, we, we need to, to number our days, recognize that they are limited, and when we have that uh, it before our eyes, it will help us to live wisely. James 4.14 says it even perhaps more pointedly than Psalm 90 did. James 4.14 says the following, what is your life? What is your life? You are but a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. What is your life? We, we think, man, we have so much time left, so many years left. James is saying, no, what is your life? It's like a vapor. You know in the morning when sometimes there's a fog outside and then the sun rises and like that, it's gone. It's as though it was never there. James is saying, that's what your life is like. It, it seems like it's dense and immense and it's gonna be there forever. It's not. It's like a vapor that is here today and gone tomorrow. So uh, for us to live well, we've gotta live our short days in light of eternity. Just think of this like, time exercise with me, if you will, okay? Mississippis, right? That's our seconds. You have to count it, say out the whole Mississippi to be able to do it. So just think like even two seconds, right? Just count that out in your mind. One Mississippi, two Mississippi. Two seconds, okay? 
Now think about what's ahead of you, the year 2022. All of the time that you will spend at work, all of the time you will spend sleeping, all of the time you will spend bored, the time you'll spend watching TV, the time you'll spend with friends, like the whole year, vacations, everything, all the year in front of you. Uh, think about, like, when you really look at it like that, it, it, it seems long. Well, that, that two seconds, I think the Bible would say, that's your life. That is how quick it is. The blink of an eye, two seconds, here and then gone. 2022 could maybe be comparable to two minutes in eternity, like not even worth considering, a brief moment when we cross into eternity. But imagine how tiny that two seconds is in light of all of it, and yet the foolish thing for all of us, all of us are tempted to do this. We spend all of our time thinking about like, the latter end of that two seconds, like retirement or when my kids grow up or my 20s, like we just, this little glimmer in that two seconds, that's what we spend so much of our time thinking about. Meanwhile, eternity stands before us and we give so little thought to what we are doing with our little two seconds that will matter beyond the grave. All of these biblical writers who are, have now been gone for quite some time scream out from their graves at us, Look at your life, give it thought, evaluate it, but do it in light of eternity. Do it in light of things that will matter. I'm well, we, we're in the grave. So, making the most of the time, spending the time well, we, we begin by looking at our life. We, we then look at our life in light of eternity. And then the, the one that's most important and the one that I spend the most of our time on is we need to look at our life at what is pleasing to the Lord. Look at your life, look at it in light of eternity, and look at your life in light of what is pleasing to the Lord. If you've been following so far, I probably actually haven't even been describing our lives in the best possible way. And the context of making the best use of our time is found between, we're very like individualistic and you know maybe we, we spent time in high school like dreaming out our lives, what are the things that we wanna do, how do we wanna live our lives, but listen to how uh, we should frame it based on these two verses. So keep your Bible open, look at uh, Ephesians chapter five, verse 10. Paul says the following. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And then look right after he's talking about our lives and making the best use of our time, verse 18, uh, um, or sorry, verse 17. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And right in the middle, it doesn't actually say how to, to spend your life. It simply says make the best use of the time. What am I getting at with all of this? The simple point is this. The best way to make the best use of your life is to realize that your life was never yours in the first place. Your life was never yours in the first place. What does it mean that we've been made in God's image? That we just kind of look like God a little bit, but then we're free to live as we please? No, it means we have his stamp of authority It means we are not our own. It means by virtue of being a creature under a creator, we are not our own to live as we please. Our aim in life should be to discern the best we can what is pleasing to the Lord. In order to make our life count, in order for it to matter, we have to realize that our life is not our own. That is by virtue what it means to have a Lord in the first place, to belong to someone else. So if we are going to make our lives count, 
we've got to focus on things that are pleasing to him, recognizing that we are not our own. To put it poetically, the the famous poet C.T. Studd said the following, one life to live shall soon be. How do we make the most of our lives? We should be diligent to consider, Lord, what is most pleasing to you? Look at your life this year, 2022, in what is pleasing to the Lord. And I want to focus on that word pleasing, what is pleasing to the Lord, what is, what is pleasurable. I want to give some reflection to that because we are using this phrase in a way that's very different from the culture that we find ourselves in. So uh, I'm saying life is short, do what is pleasing to the Lord. What our culture would say is life is short, fill it up with as much pleasure for yourself as possible. So you're not going to be around forever. Uh, life is short. Live it up. Have the best possible experiences. Uh, uh, have as much leisure as possible. Have as few entanglements like children and marriages as problem uh, as possible. Live as free as you can. Uh, uh, have as many great experiences as you can. Live free, find as much pleasure as you can. And there is a guy in the Bible who would look at our cultural attempts at finding pleasure for ourselves, and he would stand back and laugh. That's it? That's all that you've done to find pleasure out of life? I want us to look at this idea of getting the most out of life by filling it with as much personal pleasure as we can through the lens of King Solomon. Would you turn over to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 1. You want to make your life about uh, personal gain, personal pleasure? This is what King Solomon said. I said, and I'm going to read a few verses here, all the way down to verse 11, Ephesians 2. I said in my heart, come now. I will test you with what? The thing we're focused on right now, pleasure. He says to himself, I love this, enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. That means meaningless. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use of of it is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom. So he didn't get too crazy, it seems to say. He, he tested his heart with wine, but he still guided his, his, his life with wisdom. Uh, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do during the few. How do I get the most pleasure out of it? That's what Solomon is after. He says in verse four, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks. I planted them in all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of the growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks and more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I gathered to myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So listen to this verse 9, considering all of his personal pursuit for pleasure. I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. And also wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. Imagine that. Here's a guy, he's got all the wealth, all of the power. He can do whatever he wants. And he's saying, whatever my eyes desired for my, for my gain, for my pleasure, I did not withhold. I, I, I pursued all of it. I kept from my heart no pleasure. 
For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and there was my reward for my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done. So in summary, this is what he's saying. I pursued pleasure in all of these different things. I built houses. I pursued physical pleasure. I had the best wine. I had silver and gold. I had it all. Then I considered, after all of that, that what my hands had done, the toil that I had expended in doing it, and behold, you know what it was? Vanity striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Here's a guy who did not withhold any pleasurable experience that he wanted. It was vanity. It was a waste. It was a theme of pleasing. Empty. It's like chasing after the wind. I have nothing after all of it. And so under this theme of pleasing, living a life that's pleasurable. Maybe our friend Solomon could sit down next to our friend Paul who wrote Ephesians and say, hey, listen, I sought out pleasure, but it didn't fill me. What was wrong? I think what Paul would say to this is that the human life, for human beings, a meaningful life does not come from seeking as much pleasure as possible, but seeking as much as possible to do what is pleasing to the Lord. Can I say that again? A meaningful human life does not come from seeking out as much personal pleasure as possible. A meaningful human life comes out of seeking as much as possible to do what is pleasing to the Lord. What if the most fulfilling human experience that can be had is when you spend your days pouring your life into the things that matter to the Lord. You discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You spend your days pouring your life into those things. And there were other people that had all the cars, all the money, all of the fun, all of the leisure, but you poured your life into the things that God says matters to him. And the the most profound experience that you could ever have is crossing over into eternity, standing before the lamb upon the throne, and hearing spoken over your life, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You lived well. Yes, there was lots of temporary pleasures you could have pursued, but you poured your life, your little red paperclip of a life, into things that mattered, so you did it. Well done. Now enter eternal rest with me. What if that's where a meaningful, significant life is found? Not filling it with as much personal pleasure as possible, but saying, Lord, I want to discern what your will is. I want to discern what is pleasing for you, and I want to live my life for that day. When you look back on my few short days that I had in this life, you can say, well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. The last question for us to then just consider is this. How do we go about doing that? We're saying that a meaningful life is lived out in in investing uh, into things that matter to him, into things that are doing. Well, if that's the case, I want to do two things in the year 2022. I hope you'll do them with me. I want to live my life for what's pleasing to the Lord. That means I need to do two things. Number one, I need to rid my life of things that are displeasing to him. And I want to fill. It's not like we're talking about investor pleasing to him. And the good news about these two chapters in Ephesians, four and five, it's not like we're talking about investment that can be ambiguous and hard. Should I do cryptocurrency? What index fund should I use? No, it's real clear. If you invest or you remove these things from your life and you add these things to your life, you will be investing well. You will be making good trades, good exchanges with the short time that you have. So I'm just going to rattle off, beginning with some of the things here that are displeasing to the Lord. And maybe as I 
go through them. Maybe the Holy Spirit has for you just some things that the Lord would have you remove from your life as you begin this new year and seek to live well. I could go earlier in the book. Let me just start number one with uh, 4.26. Paul gives the instructions, be angry and do not sin. Later he says um, in, in verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God has forgiven you. If you want to get, live a life pleasing to the Lord, find any bitterness, any unresolved anger, unforgiveness, and, and remove that from your life. What else does, does he have in here as far as uh, displeasing to the Lord to remove uh, from our lives? Our anger, unforgiveness, um, in, in verse must, he goes into sexual immorality and impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you. For us to live lives pleasing to the Lord, we remember our sex lives themselves belong to him. And there's a design, there's a way of going about it, and there's a way that's displeasing to him that will ultimately bring destruction among you. He goes on to describe coveting, one way to waste your life. Isn't that the theme of the, the, the movie, It's a Wonderful Life? Grasping after something else rather than finding contentment in what you have. Coveting is a great way to waste the time that you have in this life. Idolatry, uh, he goes in, into uh, verse five, who, or, or, uh, who is a covetous, or that, that is an idolater, taking some physical thing in this world and making it a god, making it the thing that you pursue uh, as the thing that will fill you. All of that are things that are displeasing ultimately to the Lord. So what should we do with them? If we find ourselves this morning, if we go back home maybe and we read Ephesians 4 and 5 and we find an area of how we're living, how we're speaking, how we're going about our sexuality, whether it be through devices or physically, uh, whether we look at sort of the motive of our hearts and our idols, whether we look at uh, really any area of our life and we find it to be displeasing to the Lord, what shall we do with it? Well, a great first step is down here in verse uh, chapter five, uh, verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Instead, expose them. We've said before, your sin is like mold, and if you keep it in the dark, it'll keep growing. If you bring it into the light, it will die. What would it look like for you in this new year to just take stock of your life against Ephesians 4 and 5, the areas of your life that are displeasing to the Lord, and simply saying, Lord, I want to walk in the light in this area. I'm going to begin by confessing it to you, and then maybe I need to find a faithful brother or sister that I can share this with and say, hey, I want to live a life that's significant. I want to live a life that matters for eternity. Would you help me and be accountable with me in this area of my life? That's where it begins with. Lord, if a meaningful life is found in pleasing you, whatever is in my life that's displeasing, I want to remove it. And then, of course, Lord, I want to add to my life not the things that matter culturally, maybe not even the things that matter most to me. I wanna add to my life the things that matter to you. And this is where I would just remind you on these talks of like, seize the day, live your life well. It can often be a like, go change the world, solve world hunger, reach the nations. And, and maybe some of you can do those things, that'd be great. But what I want you to observe as we walk through the things to add to our life is it's those little paperclip trades. To the Lord, well, uh, number one in chapter five, uh, he says the following, first commenting on not getting drunk with wine, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. What matters to the Lord, what's pleasing to him? Man, when you just invest in your personal walk with God, 
when you can look at your life and say, I'm not going about it alone. I'm finding spaces and times in my schedule to get my Bible open, to pray, and invite God to just fill me with his presence, knowing I cannot live this life on my own. Your personal walk with God matters a whole bunch. And then he goes into your relationship to the church. He says, uh, verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making a melody to the Lord in your heart. Uh, This is the community of saints, the fellowship of believers, saying, Lord, as we get together even to share a meal, even to sing on a Sunday, even to gather at discipleship groups or our soon coming community groups, those matter to the Lord. Even if they feel like an event on the calendar sometimes, there's significant good things before the Lord are happening there. The Lord loves your fellowship with other believers. It's significant in his eyes. It's one of the reasons that he died for you. What else? All right, we've dealt with my walk with God. We've dealt with uh, the fellowship of saints. What, what is it now? Go and uh, martyr, be martyred somewhere. No, the, you know the next thing on Paul's mind? is your marriage, your marriage. For some of us, investing heavily in our marriage may actually be harder than going and dying as a martyr on the missions field uh, based on your current situation. But Paul's saying, you wanna live a life that's marriage? If you're married, your marriage matters a ton. Do you know God loves your marriage? Even your messed up marriage, God loves your marriage. He designed it, first of all, the big picture of marriage in general, and he specifically ordained your marriage. How do you know you're supposed to be married to the one that you're married to? Because you're married to them. God designed that marriage, and he loves it. And when you just, this is, would be pleasing to the Lord to spend some time this week with your spouse and be saying, hey, in this new year, what's one thing that I can do to love you better? What's one thing I can do to invest in in this marriage more? That matters. It's significant to the Lord. What about the next one? Are we ready to do something really big? Well, the next one in Paul's mind in chapter six is parenting. Man, parenting. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline of, and instruction of the Lord. God loves the role that you get to play in their lives, even if you feel insignificant. And I love what it says to fathers here. I think this is just a sidebar, so significant. I find as a father, maybe many of you feel the same. There are sort of two ways that I can go about my dealing with my kids and the problems that they're facing. One is kind of categorized as anger, and the other is bringing up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Do you know what matters, dads? When we have an impulse to respond with anger, but instead we take a deep breath, we set the anger aside, we get on our kids' level, and we speak to them. We we disciple them. We discipline them. Sometimes that might involve spanking, but it's never done out of anger. It's it's speaking, bringing them up in the instruction of the Lord, which takes a lot more patience and a lot more diligence than simply responding with anger. Paul is saying here that matters. Your time with your kids matters. And then the, uh, another area here, your work. So in this category of bond servants and masters, uh, that uh, obviously has some uh, cultural transitions for, for where we live today. Uh, but simply stated this, what if you have this posture showing up when you go back to work after the break in chapter six, verse seven? Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Your job may feel so insignificant, whether you're staying home with kids, whether you're going to work somewhere, it may feel so insignificant. Do you know what gives it significance and eternal value? It's when you get up early in the morning or when you clock in and you say, Lord, today I am rendering this service to you. 
I'm going to work as though you are watching me and you are glorified by how I go about my work day. That matters to the Lord. And then one final thing to add says that words here, way over in verse 19 of chapter six, and also Paul says that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Hey, listen, I don't even think it has to be bold. Just the proclaiming of the gospel to lost people in our context, to know your neighbors, uh, you know, hosting events where people can be brought in. Those are all things that can matter ultimately on that day where you hope to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. So can I just invite you to do this? This might feel overwhelming. I've got this long list of stuff we need to remove, this, this other list of stuff that we need to add. Can I just invite you to pray before we come to the table this morning and just consider, Lord, is there one thing that I can bring to the light and rid of my life? Is there one area of sin that I know you want me to deal with that I can focus on this here? And is there just one area? Is it my marriage? Is it my uh, uh, pursuit of lost people? Is it the way that I'm parenting? Is it the way that I personally spend time with you? Like, is there one thing that I can add to my life that I know is ultimately pleasing to you? Remembering once again, brothers and sisters, that we have but one life to live and it shall soon be past. Only, only what's done for Christ will last. So what needs to go and what needs to stay with the hope of entering into eternity, hearing, I hope you enter into eternity exhausted, worn out, having given yourself to serving your Lord with your days on this earth so that you can hear those words, man, you look exhausted. Welcome home. Well done, my good and faithful servant. As we get ready to come take communion, and band, you can, can join me up here. I want us to just reflect on that reality that we said a little bit earlier. Our lives are not our own to do with as we please. That's true by virtue of creation, the fact that we did not create ourselves. We are not our own. God created us. But can I tell you, that's even a deeper truth that we're not our own by virtue of our redemption, our redeemer. So Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, with a price. Therefore, honor God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your life. What was that price? Well, Mark 10, 45, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What was the ransom that made you no longer your own? What was the price that was paid for your life? It was Jesus' own life. He gave up his life to purchase you as his because you had a life that was so pleasing and filled with so many things that he wanted. No, our lives were so filled with displeasing things to him, filled with sin. He said, I love you anyway. I'm gonna give my life as a ransom for you. Now out of joyful love, we say, God, I don't, I don't even wanna be my own. I wanna live my, all my days for the one who loved me and gave himself for me. So as you get ready to come and participate in the Lord's Supper this morning, remember uh, that you are not your own. You have a creator who made you and you are not your own because you have been bought with a price. What was the price? The broken body and shed blood of our perfect Jesus. He did all that for us. Faith. Say every week, however, if you're here this morning and you're not a part of this faith, 
you've not come to a place where you've said, that, that really is the kicker. I mean, that is the kicker of coming to faith in Jesus, where we're willing to surrender and say, I'm not my own anymore. And we struggle so hard with that. Our autonomy, our, our just, just being self-made people, in order to have eternal life, you've got to come to a place where you say, I am not my own. But if you're not there, please don't participate in communion because it's a meal that symbolizes that you come to that reality. But while you sit out communion this morning, you do not need to sit out of giving up. You can remain in your seat and you can just begin to pray, Lord, I've been living my own way. I've been living for myself. I don't want to do that anymore. I know I'm a sinner. I know I don't deserve your love, but I believe that Jesus gave his life for me. And I put my trust and my confidence in him. If that's the case, come and take communion with us next week. This time, hang out during your, in your seat during this time. Let's pray together. Let's give thanks that God has given us this life as a gift. And let's be reminded that none of it is ours. It's all his. Lord, thank you for the gift of life. Oh, and how much more do we thank you for the gift of new life, redeemed life, life that can now be lived for you. As we take these tangible elements, it is declared over us, we are not our own. We have been bought by a price. We are now yours forever, and we joyfully receive that. We joyfully lay our lives on your altar. And God, we ask that you would shine the light on our lives today. What's there that just needs to be repented of, needs to be turned from? What area of sexual immorality of drunkenness, of idolatry, of anger, of impatience, the way we're parenting, the way we're going about marriage, what just needs to be laid down before you this morning and turned from? And Lord, would you shine your light to, to show us the good works that you have called us to, areas of obedience that you're inviting us to walk in, in the small little areas of our life, Lord. Uh, we often think of big goals, grand plans when you're just calling us to simply obey you in the small places. Lord, shine the light in those areas of our lives and help us this year, we pray, to not live for right now, to not live for five years from now, to not live even for 50 years from now, but to live our lives for that moment when we cross from this world into the next. We long to hear those words, bought by your grace, well done, my good and faithful servant. In Jesus' name. Amen.